everybody. Welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim Jasma, and with me all the way in Portland, Maine, it is the Reverend Tracy. How are you doing? Oh, I, I'm doing swell. Another wonderful day in the neighborhood of sweltering humidity and downpouring rain out of nowhere. But as always, we'll we'll get into what's going on in my life as I adjust to a new state later. Um, how are you doing, Tim? I'm doing good. Um, had a really busy week last week in school uh, for math class. I know not only had um, my second midterm, um, I also had to take uh, take. I had to do two separate modules within four days. Now, a module uh, for online class is one week worth of stuff, so I had to do a midterm and two modules in one week period. So um, I still have some hair. So thank goodness for that. So um, it's finally over. Um, But a couple more weeks of school, then I will have a bit of a summer break before uh, school picks back up again. Um, But before we begin the show proper, you had a really interesting idea that that we thought it would be uh, something we wanted to bring up to our audience. Let the folks in. Yeah. So, you know, we talked, I believe it was just the last episode mm-hmm. or possibly the one before. I just know it's really recent. Things blend together when you're doing cross-country moves and adjusting to life. But I knew that recently we had kind of had some discourse back and forth about somebody uh, offering to Tim and really our podcast, our listeners to offer this kind of idea for a concept um, of kind of wanting to change our minds about you know, the earth being flat. And that led me to kind of this concept of, well, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there that differ from our own. And one thing that Tim and I do have in common that really kind of serves out well on this show, we feel sometimes is that we can handle disagreement. We are open to hearing other people's opinions. So why not try to make a segment out of this? Now, I want to put it out there that my reaction to the, the particular person, which I mean, I don't even think we mentioned their name to try to at least be respectful about it. But, yeah. you know, as it was described to all of us together was that while I am open to talking to somebody who believes that the earth is flat and, you know, cause that's the point. If I can't see my mind changing, that should make me more open to wanting to have that discussion, not less. Uh, cause you know, I, I feel pretty firm in my beliefs. I, I've kind of taken my sources and stuff. So I am open to having that, but, uh, how did I put it so eloquently off air was that I think it needs to be with a person that just wears slightly less tinfoil hats about all of the things, you know, but there's a, a lot of people who can have a differing opinion on things and be very, you know, well-spoken and respectful individuals. Like I, yes. I couldn't take the two headbuttiness for me, but uh, <laughs> as long as we can match of like, hey, like let's go into this, not necessarily depending on the mind being changed, but everybody being open to their mind being changed and being cool about a conversation about differences. So Tim yes. had his own response to that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm uh, I would definitely be excited if we uh, were able to find somebody to do that. Now, um, you know, to be clear, it's going to be you know topics like 
um, you know, the flat earth. It's going to be, you know, yeah, I think we can even do something like JFK assassination or Bigfoot or something like that. You know, um, I wouldn't want to do anything super political or anything like that. So if you got those, um, you know, the 2020 election with stolen craps, please don't don't contact us. We're not we're not going to hear you out on that because you are wrong. <laughs> That's one where I'm just not willing to give it a platform right now. Um, just, yeah, there, there's enough of that already out there. I'm sure there's plenty of podcasts that would be super happy to let you talk about it. But uh, this is a, yeah, and, that, and that's where it gets fair. Of just we're going to keep it a no politics zone for this one. Yep. Um, because that can be such a hot topic. And, you know, that even the people who think they can keep their cool in a conversation, I've seen them lose it when it comes to politics. So I, I personally agree, but it can be, you know, we're open to topics. So we like to kind of throw stuff out there. We'll probably put a poll somewhere somehow or some way where we can get people to kind of pitch us anything like, Hey, I'd like to hear you. And does any of you guys disagree or agree with this thing? And you think if you could find somebody of the opposing opinion, you know, we'll, we're willing to hear it. Just uh, don't be offended if we go, mm, that's too political mm-hmm. or, you know, I think we can respect, I, I don't think there's like really a lot of topics that we might turn down, but I could see some being like, yeah, let, let's not do that one just right now. Yeah, yeah, too, because I mean, <laughs> ad- admittedly, with um, some of these uh, groups, they do kind of sometimes blend into blend together in with other groups that have ideologies that are not so good that, you know, again, we're not, you know, going to give, uh, you know, a, a platform to but I'm excited. So yes, um, to pay attention to our social media outlets out there. We'll have uh, some more information. And um, this might even be a good chance to, to like, to check out some uh, other independent podcasts. There are definitely other podcasts out there on topics like this. And that might be a great way to do some cross platforming, you know, reach out to them, you know, the, the ones that we've of course, <laughs> you know, not just oh, random yes. guys that reach out, you know, but, and, and, and you can go about it that way too, but I am definitely excited for that. Yes. Potential, potential stuff and things. Yes. And uh, we'll, we'll just have to see if we can make like a new version of that meme of the guy that sat at the desk with the, you know, like change my mind if, or something like that. I, you've seen it, but I'm not describing it well. Oh, you're like, <laughs> no, no, no. I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, there, there, you could probably <laughs> find that very template with nobody. Well, actually, yeah, you can find it with nobody in the chair. I've hmm. seen that. And so I don't know, maybe I'll just do me and my whole clergyman regalia when it's a topic that's for me. And <laughs> we'll pick a, a good pensive photo of Tim um, yes. for any time it's a him topic. Well, there we go. Now, you have been having an interesting time in Maine. Let folks in on what's happening. Oh, well, I mean, on the more casual side of things, I, you know, I'm a creative person and I need outlets and things like that. And one did happen to fall across my lap, which is exciting. It was girl child's birthday box. So I got to work on that and get my craft on. And I think it was really creative. Uh, If there's anybody that ever needs to do a gift for a kid and you know you have to ship it uh what we did is basically we took the usps flat rate box and i essentially took tissue paper with different patterns and wallpapered the inside of the box because you know you can just tear it open in a little tab i glued it and taped it all back together to make a whole box then decorated the inside and made it special for her so instead of it being decorated on the outside it's decorated on the inside when she opens it up 
Um, it was kind of nice because we kind of did the same thing before anyway, because we're not very stuff people. Like we're very experienced people, which is why we're excited to, you know, that that's one of the pros of being into a vacation parent is at least we can kind of maximize some of the experience stuff that we like to do. But, uh, you know, we don't do a lot of the little shoppy thingies. So it's like the one time that we would. So in a way, it's the one thing that didn't have to change with this move to Maine and now being long distance parents. Uh, one thing I promised them is like, hey, I don't know for sure how to be a long distance stepmom, but uh, I'm going to try my best. So that is one thing out there for the adjustment to Maine. The other is with the adjustment of the Mr. Reverend going back to work. We're actually going to work. It's not a back to. This is him starting his career. And uh, he's in a job where he travels. Yay. And this is the first time I just dropped him off right before we recorded. Um, this is the first time he's going out of town. And it will be, you know, the first of it being something that we're going to build around things like and it's normally just for the week or whatever he'll be back on weekends i guess always mm -hmm. so there is that it's not like some weird thing where he's going to be gone <laughs> six weeks at a time like like his partner me like i will be <laughs> in september <laughs> and october so uh you know we've got a little bit of adjustment to to happen with all of that and um i i outed myself to a mainer is not being from maine uh -oh. because I asked for tips on dropping somebody off at the airport. Apparently, it is a, a thing here. It's like, oh, it's not the airport. It's the jet port. And of course, they don't, they don't say it like that. That's just me being, that's my pretentious <laughs> voice in my head. That's how everybody sounds. Male, yeah, female, pink. don't care who you are. Pinky yeah, pinky up. up. Exactly. <laughs> the recording, I think I even had my pinky up. But it's, it's the jet port. And uh, so I got corrected to not call it the airport, that it is the jet port. And it is, by the way, this adorable little thing. They call it like an international jet port. And no joke, it took the Mr. Reverend like 10 minutes once he got his boarding pass sorted to get through security. Like, that's it. Um, I, I dropped him off. Like, he probably would have been in, like, it's so close to where we live because it's so small right. over here compared to, you know, in Portland, Oregon where you can drive for an hour and be at the airport. Maybe this was like a little bit out of the way. I took him there. And by the, I think without any complication, he probably would have been security by the through security by the time I got home. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it was super simple, adorable international jet port that I don't know. Mostly it seems to just pedal jump to neighboring bigger airports like Boston or, or somewhere else. But uh, I, I think it's adorable. The international jet port. It is interesting um, how you do get variety in language by region, you know, even something as simple uh, that I found out when I moved to California um, about soda, <laughs> you know, where I come from, we call it pop. It's always been pop. And, and, you know, in California, it's soda up here in um, Portland, Oregon. Um, I've heard, essentially I've heard like soda pop more, more people are comfortable saying that, but you know, it is interesting. The, the variety of, of language based on where you live. Yeah. I mean, I I've had a lot of that, right. I still remember on my 21st birthday when I visited my cousins and uncle in California and I was telling a story and all of a sudden they just are giggling. And I always said, what's going on? And they just said, say it again. I said, say what again? 
And I said, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> and I didn't even notice that I had said it until that happened. But, you know, little things like that, like my mother um, was like born in Pennsylvania and then she was over in California. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was calling it soda because a lot of where you pick up what you call things is from your early childhood development. You know, they don't really teach you if it's soda or Coke or pop in kindergarten. Don't know if you noticed that they don't super cover that lesson. That's more of an at the home thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So you're already learning how to talk a lot from home. So that's where that came from. So that was one thing that, you know, in Texas, it's Coke. I was like, no, no, no. If you ask me for a Coke, I'm bringing you a Coca-Cola because that is Coke. It even says it on the side of the can, like half of them just say Coke now. Like, I don't think they say Coca-Cola on some of the cans anymore, but, uh, but yeah, so that was one of those things was Coke and I've always called it soda. Yeah. And for me, even today it's pop. I mean, on occasion I, I, I will break down and, and throw in a soda there, but <laughs> it's pop, but um it, it, yeah, and, and speaking of Coke, um, that kind of ties back in with that uh, documentary show you mentioned, uh, The Food That Built America, because Coke is definitely one of those uh, cornerstones of, um, of, uh, of a company that, that helped sh- really shape the company in a lot of uh, the country in a lot of ways. So. Yep. Another story of a brilliant addict getting screwed over by a rich guy. <laughs> That's a theme. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, let's uh, talk about Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> Is he a brilliant addict? I don't know. No, no, no. He's. Uh, I've always gotten the impression he was just like a dorky guy or something like that. He's like the, the rich, nerdy, shy, quiet guy. You know, so just benign. But he recently came out on Twitter and had some comments um, about his show being on um, Fox, and which would beg to beg the question: Why, after all this time, why is it a problem for him? Um, Basically, his issue at hand is. Oh, come on! Open it up. There we go. I, I, before we started recording, I was like, this is going to be so streamlined. I just press a button and it works and it didn't work. Um, but basically with um, Fox News, it, it relates to Fox News, basically. And um, what, uh, what Seth MacFarlane's tweet was is this. Tucker Carlson's latest opinion piece once again makes me wish Family Guy was on any other network. Look, Fox, we both know this marriage isn't working anymore. The sex is only once a year. I don't get along with your mother. And well, I've been having an affair with NBC. <laughs> oh, my God. I, yeah. Wow. So is, is that really like a legit announcement that he's leaving Fox? He well, he's already um, his production company, uh, Fuzzy Door, already uh, signed a production deal with Fox, uh, with uh, NBC, and um, like I know on Peacock right now, he does have the At Home Variety Show, which is not anything big, but you know he does have other content in the works, like a remake of Smokey and the Bandit for Peacock, <laughs> which I'm wondering how he's going to pull that off. But um, yeah, if it, obviously in the history of the show, we've talked about, um, you know, 20th Century Fox selling their content to Disney. Um, so at this point, Family Guy is owned by Disney. Fox is just simply because of the contract in place, still, you know, allowing that show on the air um, because, you know, they do like money after all. Um, yeah. But, you know, this uh, is an interesting question because, you know, Family Guy throughout the years, you know, 
I'm going to be honest, has, you know, even though Seth MacFarlane, uh, you know, I, be- I, I, I agree with him politically and stuff. I think uh, Family Guy, I would be lying if I didn't say that Family Guy over the years has been problematic. So it's tough hearing this about a TV show that has been open to um, insulting everybody the the way they have, Um, which is not to say that there isn't value in that type of humor. I mean, I love that show because I realize it is what it is. It's just simple, broad farce. But, um, you know, it's like, on the one hand, I get what he's talking about because like if, if the God shined a light on me and I was able to get something in Hollywood, I would not want to work with Fox either. I get that sentiment, but um, you know, it's like, I, do I need to hear that from him? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. It is kind of a hell of a way to be like, fuck you, fuck you. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's also been on the record too, about uh, the fact that he felt creatively family guy um, shouldn't be around anymore because really um, it's kind of like the same thing that the Simpsons has done. It's like, they've really told all the stories they could tell. Now it's like rehashing old stories or just going bizarre, (laughs) you know, right? or pivoting so much. And then you go back because then you go back to kind of more of the original way the show went and then you can tickle nostalgia bones for a little bit. Like, I don't know. It's I haven't watched Family Guy in so long. And even then, I wasn't a devout watcher or a devout consumer of the show. Yeah. Um, actually, I, the, I have personal reasons that I just don't really care for Family Guy all that much. And it, it, it's stupid because it, it's being picked on stuff that literally has nothing to do with the show. Yeah. But so... It running for so long, plus having a little bit of negative connotation. I'm just like, nah, just I wouldn't miss it personally. But I guess there's some diehard fans out there that would probably be really bummed that it's going away, though. Um, but when it comes down to it, it's like, hey, isn't it kind of the number one piece of advice? If you don't like who you work for, then quit. And if the cost of quitting is that one creative content when he has other options, it makes sense that he's going to quit, whether you agree with it or not, whether you love the show or not. Uh, I can't argue with somebody wanting to leave because they don't want to be associated with shit that their boss is doing. So I, I will give kudos for at least that being why. Like, yeah. it's not over something like money. It's not over something. You know what I mean? It, it's just I don't like the stuff that you guys are kind of doing. I don't support Fox and I don't want to give Fox revenue anymore um because right it makes money off of his show so if he pulls out of that in a way he's he's starving it a little yeah i mean uh, and obviously fox being a tv network would look for something else and put their money into that or move a show that already has an existing on i mean it's tv you know it's like one show leaving the leaving a network is not going to kill that network um but but having said that it's like it's nice to see someone potentially um standing up to to fox and if it takes a big name to do that to kind of start the ball rolling then you know maybe that's a good thing but Exactly. Because, I mean, yeah, sure. It's just one show. It won't Mm -hmm. hurt over just one show. But who else is going to not want to work with Fox now and maybe take lead of like, hey, this is right. Like, we can totally do the same thing that Seth MacFarlane did. So if it does cause a chain reaction, that could be interesting because, you know, 
they, they'd probably try to bring something back or nostalgia grab, but if anybody producing and having rights to anything doesn't want to work with them, um, this could potentially mean something. It, it would be interesting to follow if anybody else starts pulling their content from Fox. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, I mean, that's we'll see what happens going forward. As far as Family Guy, I mean, more than likely with the because that's one of their stable shows on Fox. So even though it doesn't have the audience it used to, um, you know, there's a reason that it's been on for this long. It has, to your point, has a core audience. So uh, at this point, I can just see them keeping it on the air until the current contract runs out. Um, and, you know, who, who knows what will happen at that point. But I do hope more and more people stand up because obviously Rupert Murdoch is not going to change anything um, at his network. We know he has no morals because he has no problem letting Tucker Carlson scare, you know, like your grandma and grandpa in in Nebraska about not getting the, the vaccine. But who's one of the first to get it? Rupert Murdoch, you know, so yeah, I think John Cleese was actually throwing some shade on Rupert Murdoch because, I, you know, I follow John Cleese. So when he like gets really active on the Twitter's. I'll get mm-hmm. the little notifications and I don't always click on them, click on them. But so yeah, check out, check out some of what he's been saying. He's been following some interesting stuff. <laughs> and um, Cleves would have probably a better um, understanding of him too, because if you think about it, like Rupert Murdoch has been involved in um, Amer- the American entertainment industry since about the eighties, but well before that, he, you know, was involved in Aust- in the Australia entertainment industry and the great Britain entertainment, uh, in, you know, industry. He owned a lot of those nasty, nasty British tabloids that, um, you know, put our tabloids, uh, the system to shame, just, just, uh, the evil, evil people that will, you know, do whatever they can to get a, a photo of a celebrity um, just so the masses can pretend they are, you know, going to be the boyfriend of Chris Hemsworth or something, you know? Yeah, I, yeah that's a whole level of Hollywoodism that I, I don't understand, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about mountain climbing. Yes, I do have active hobbies one of them is that i am a mountaineer my personal self Uh, one of the actually the original marriage idea for myself and the mr reverend was to summit mount hood there in oregon and get married by our climbing partner and have two already experienced mountaineers there to act as the two witnesses so it was going to be the smallest possible wedding party on the top of a mountain Um, That being said, I get interesting Google recommendations on mountain climbing. Mm -hmm. And one of them was about a young mountain climber. Um, I want to get over here. I think it's Selena Kawaja. And I am sorry if I am butchering that name. If somebody can look up a phonetic on that one, I had a hard time finding it before the show. But she is apparently a 12-year-old prodigy mountain climber. Um, I guess she's done Everest and uh, with this particular mountain uh, and I want to preface a lot of this like climbing Mount Hood for a wedding was to involve a lot of very technical training which is why this story kind of is is one of particular interest. I know how dangerous this thing is, okay? It's something that you do need to take with kind of a sense of seriousness and you can't take it too skippy lighthearty when you're up there. Like a slip can be deadly for you and your entire party. So just to kind of really set the level of these mountains this child is doing, okay? 
So she's 12 years old and apparently she's trying to take Broad Peak with her father. Mm-hmm. Then the father gets sick. So they have to med back the father out. They say, you know, the girl wanted to do it. She wanted to do it. She still wanted to do it. So, but anyway, the girl winds up not completing it either and getting pulled out uh, is kind of what the initial story was. And then I guess a lot of what's been coming out over a little bit of time is, you know, people are saying that it almost sounds like in situations that this child maybe doesn't want to do this sport. Uh, You know, something that kind of made me question it is if she's climbing partners with her father. Um, Something that's great about the Mr. Reverend and I is that when we do it as partners, we are close enough in size that if we were tethered to each other, which often you are. So if somebody falls, you know, you can actually, you know, you stick an ice pick in the ground and you self arrest, and then you can help pull them up because this does happen. Like not always you want to avoid it, <laughs> but these are the things that you're supposed to be training and preparing for. But if right. you've got a 12 year old child strapped to an adult male, and I, I guess there was a, a person there with them. And I'll get into that with reading some of the tweets I wanted to get into. Of Mostly the Reverend Tracy is over here thinking that Z is not very sure how much this child wants to do it or how safe this is. Um, so essentially some people that pass them because, you know, these are, this is broad peak is a famous peak. There were other climbing teams there. When the Mr. Reverend and our climbing partner um, have been up on the mountains, we have come across other teams and Mount Hood is not as popular as this. But, you know, like on St. Helens, we crossed another team. So there are other people that saw this child and said that it did not seem like she wanted to do it. Um, and then there was an interesting slew of very angry tweets that came out and I might just share the, the news article and let people read these and sit here and try to read them. But I'm just curious if anybody else has the same opinion that I do, that these do not sound like they're coming from a 12 year old child. Um, there's also this weird, interesting side topic of, wait a second, she's 12. She shouldn't even have Twitter because Twitter's 13 and up, I think is the deal with that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so anywho goes into stuff like saying, you know, I never told this person that I didn't want to do the climb. And if you're going like, if you're going to tarnish my reputation, um, I will sue like threatening to sue that person for trying to quote, tarnish my reputation end quote, uh, other things of like, I know my rights and I know how to protect them. And I have a team of lawyers to do so. So uh, doesn't really sound like a 12 year old girl tweeting to me, which leads me kind of into this side topic. Um, I'm an advocate for children's rights. Like in general, I, I think there could be certain protections that are at question here of what is too young to encourage certain level of, of sportdom, right? Yeah. Because if it exists out there, we've seen it in the pageant world where there's really sometimes this unhealthy level of making your child compete um, and things like that. So I could see that being a case here. I'm not going to say that's for sure what's going on. Okay. I'm not going to pretend to be in the family of this 12 year old and her father and their climbing habits. You know, I'm sure sometimes when I'm hoofing it up a mountain and I'm tired, I don't look like I want to fucking be there either. So I'm not saying that it's all correct. But it did really kind of lead me down this thought black hole of 
what's too young to encourage this so that we're not accidentally kind of encouraging a child to essentially be abused in kind of a really weird and public way. Um, It takes me to, you know, these children, they have no rights in this sense. So it's almost just as much as the Britney Spears conservatorship. You know, it's so blatantly wrong when you're commanding an adult to, you must live in Vegas, you must do these shows, you must create this content. But are we maybe turning a blind eye to problems like this when it comes to, you know, children performers or especially some of these that are just really dangerous sports uh, where I know there's kind of this pissing contest in the climbing world of the youngest so-and-so to do this climb or the youngest to summit this peak. Um, So do we not maybe have a little bit of responsibility there to make an age cut off to avoid that now that it's dropped below the age of 18, right? Because that doesn't that become about the parent going for a pride point than the child actually accomplishing something? Well, I mean, if, if you think about uh, like combat sports, for instance, I mean, there are definitely regulations. You're not going to get a six foot five, 260 pound person facing off against a five foot tall, 100 pound person ever. You're not you're not going to do that. So in terms of uh, climbing, especially with it being so dangerous for even the most hardened, trained professionals, you got to even no matter how much desire, how much passion this kid has for climbing, it's like you sometimes the, the, the passion and common sense don't meet and you need a you need a, a body of some sort to say you can't do that now. You know, that doesn't mean discourage them from not climbing there. You know, uh, you can certainly attest to the level of climbing abilities that are available in like um, climbing studios, climbing gyms, stuff like that. There's plenty you can do. There's a lot of age appropriate training that can be done until you are of maybe a better age to handle things like that. You know what I mean? Um but I think there might need to be some sort of limit because uh, it is interesting. You are supposed to get permits to do these these things. And it, but it's not really anything that's like super crazy. You usually fill out something at the, the beginning of like at Mount Hood. It's right there uh, off the side to the lodge of where skiing is. Like it's the same little area where like skiers are kind of walking through. There's a little area in there. You fill out this page, you stick it in a box and then you leave. And, you know, it's your responsibility to let somebody know that you have gone to a dangerous activity. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, we we let people know so that we don't come back and say, hey, we made it. It was great. Here's a photo of the summit that they can call a number and they will go check that box of, okay, they did this form. But did they ever do the return slip? Because you're supposed to drop something off whenever you're done, too. Right. Um, So that's what they check. So it's not like a super formal system to get a permit, but I'm wondering if there should be maybe some age appropriateness, you know, we don't let children go and ride motocross and, (laughs) uh, or like, uh, you know, some of the, the motor vehicle stuff, like we don't let them just go and do that on the street, like just casually, just because they do it, you know, in their backyard or whatever, but there's practice that I think could be more appropriate and other hobbies that would support maybe that long-term goal when they're maybe a little bit older, but it was just something interesting and it can be applied to so much. 
because it can be applied to like some of these YouTube stars we see happening younger and younger. It goes back to kind of being similar to the pageant stuff and how we kind of recognize there is a lot of toxicity in that world sometimes. Um, so yeah, it, it's stories like this that make me question if maybe that's bleeding out into other areas too. And I do know that we've got some young Olympians even that's worth talking about. Um, but I, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that they don't want to be Olympians. They don't want to do it, but is there maybe limits that should be imposed because we don't want that pageant type toxic stuff to end up pushing kids into doing things they don't really want to do. Yeah. And that's always going to be the tricky part because, you know, how much regulation do you want as a parent to give the government in terms of them telling you what you can and cannot do with your kids? And, you know, even when it comes to sports like this, I could, uh, you know, playing devil's advocate, you know, um, you could, I, I could see somebody replying that, you know, obviously with a kid with a motor vehicle, you know, it's a bigger device. They don't have the muscle, muscle structure to be able to handle that but in climbing they may be able to do that you know i mean i don't know yeah but that's my point though is like i really i'm not sure that that's there and i and i'm you know me i am not one to tell kids that they can't do something mm -hmm. okay now do they have the muscular ability yeah yeah sure sure but there's like just kind of a physics and weight thing Mm -hmm. that really matters when you're especially like in tandem climbing and doing some of these summits, which I would imagine this, this child would actually be roped to their father. I don't know. Part of me wants to go see if they have any videos of what they do, but yeah, just really the concept in general of the idea that this child maybe doesn't want to do this sport that is actually inherently dangerous like begs a question of should there be a children's rights issue looked into? Because as far as the whole argument of, oh, but then you're letting the government regulate your kids. Well, they already can't work anymore because of child labor <laughs> laws. So maybe that's not necessarily the best argument to not look into what might be good for more kids. I don't know about you guys. I'm kind of pro less abusive situations <laughs> and anti like kind of setting up and leaving things open so that abuse can easily happen. And what I would think would be a perfect thing would be if like you have a 12 year old that's fascinated in climbing and they spend the ages of 12 to 18 in, in proper climbing gyms with proper coaches training. By the time they're 18, they're going to be climbing a mountain like like they've done it for years. You know, they're going to be much better prepared to do it that way. Um, and and I, I get, you know, wanting to when you're a kid, you want to tackle the world and do everything, I guess. But you, you have to as a parent you do have to tell your kids when it's time like i don't get the kid the parents that allow their kids to get like flight licenses you know that allow their kids to fly planes and all that like i sorry i i would i would never have done that with my kids ever well i mean to be fair that is your kids that's that's more of teaching i don't know I, that does seem kind of dangerous though because i is their phone at least away but uh, <laughs> I, I guess I could be pulled on that one. My my reaction at that one was like, oh, but I've been flying before. And it's like, yeah, but maybe maybe there's a point there to that one as well, because it is dangerous. It could also easily put other people in danger, as can falling down a mountain, by the way. Because yeah. we go back to there are other teams on these mountains. And if you don't think some of these falls can't be deadly or affect other teams, uh, you can Google that. There are plenty of stories and 
I don't need to actually spout them off here because they exist in plenty. There's actually accident reports in Ice and Climber magazines to talk about how some of this stuff happens. And um, I, I think it was on last week tonight, John Oliver mentioned like on Mount Everest, so many people visit Mount Everest that there have been times to where people will be injured on the mountain, but people cannot go up and get them due to the amount of tourists that are there. Exactly. And I actually think it was, was I, might, I, I might have to look this up because I think it was actually the Bergschrund in Mount Hood that there were death casualties and it very much involved a climber falling and hitting another group of people um, because there was like a helicopter, I think, that tried to go that wound up not making it. I think it was Mount Hood, but I will totally double check that. I, I mentioned off air, you know, part of the funness of getting adapted is I'm on a little bit of a lag of getting official Internet. But this recording's going smoothly and I'm not going to fuck with my bandwidth while we're recording <laughs> damn right so we'll save that for next time <laughs> yeah so i will have an update or it'll be in the facebook group for sure if it was mount hood but i'm pretty sure because bergshund by the way i know it's a technical term that's just an opening in the ice that happens so it's like an ice cave and it mm. is one of the things that you can risk falling into um if you're on some of these mountains and it happens to be a season where it's open or when it's thin over it is when it can be dangerous just side nerd out a little bit of knowledge i could drop about you know why i would question a 12 year old child doing these things yeah yeah and me i'm just glad i'm a misanthropic recluse <laughs> you know i would not be on a mountain <laughs> oh my gosh we're actually excited we still have our ice picks there with a friend because we do want to do mount hood at some time like so mm -hmm. I, I will be back to do that not not in october <laughs> though i'll be focused on other things which, you know, side note, yeah, the Reverend will be back in Portland, Oregon uh, for six weeks around October timeframe. So yes. also down for some fun ideas. If you guys are like, hey, while well, you guys are together, here's an idea. Um, but yeah, we're going to try to think of some stuff while I'm in town. Just a little, little, little bit of a side note between our stories there. Yes, I, I think we do have at least one live episode in the works, live out and about in town, hopefully more. Those are always fun ones, but um, let's move on here. We had an interesting week in the legal system. Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney over the profits from Black Widow. Tell the folks your thoughts. <laughs> so, yes, I, I read this article. It came up at some point into my awareness, and I was a little bit disappointed pointed at first because my perception overall um the suing is going on because of the at-home releases which is something that i am a big fan of i have i've talked about that here on the show about being able to really enjoy uh catching a new movie while the excitement was still high with my stepkids and my partner <clears throat> so i was a little bummed because i like scarlett johansson that she was suing over this i do understand that she has the right to um, but it, it takes me into the whole, but it's a pandemic and I was all for encouraging people to stay home. And I really have been happy to see a lot of the actors and other big people that I like encouraging the idea of people staying home, especially now with the Delta variant being what it is, where we are essentially right back where we were last year. Um, but hopefully with a little bit more knowledge and a little bit more willingness to hopefully wear a mask so that it doesn't get as bad. But uh, I don't know. I saw a picture of La La Palooza. And so it's not looking very good, folks. I think we're failing a second summer in a row. 
I, I, um, I, I speaking of that, I turned on uh, like five minutes of Lollapalooza. Um, didn't understand the music that was there, so I'm officially old now. Um, but go looking through the audience, like I saw two people with masks. Apparently, yeah. they were requiring people to be vaccinated to attend, but it was a free concert in Chicago with over 100,000 people. How could they properly regulate that? They're, they would not be able to. Well, just side note, it doesn't fucking matter anymore because the Delta variant has exactly. already become predominant enough and they've already decided vaccinated people aren't protected fully from it. It's not as effective, at least. They're still figuring out how. I, I have. I need to look that up again, like just to stay current on it myself. But, uh, you know, the, the news is already broken that we can at least pass it. So it's right back to we should be wearing masks and staying away. And we're right back to just everybody justifying the yeah but me's yeah um but there is no yeah but me there is no yeah but i'm vaccinated unfortunately i don't know this is where we're at again so with us being there again i am bummed out to see anybody kind of suing and discouraging over the idea of releasing content at home now i know tim <laughs> I, I really want to continue because we had started to have some back and forth about this so i'm gonna let him go on his thing now <laughs> about what he was saying to me okay now i don't agree with that take and here is why um the situation is this when she signed that contract first of all we're talking a contract that was signed i believe in uh 2017 no no pandemic there and part of that agreement was that she would get paid x amount of money plus she would also uh it, there would be a profit sharing system to where she'd be able to share in um part of the profits for the box office which for these types of movies is a common thing because if you think about it um th these movies aren't guaranteed to be hits so having it be like a profit sharing thing you know you're able to save a little bit of money in terms of the salary on the hopes that that it's a big thing everybody kind of you know has to work together at that point to make a hit and i love incentive-based pay i think incentive-based pay is a good thing um but obviously the pandemic hit and what happened is that disney did decide to make the pivot to um have same day um release in both theaters and on um the disney uh, plus premiere access and here's where it gets tricky because uh, there are a couple things to keep in mind like the disney premiere access I didn't realize it until like about a week after we did it. But when we purchased Black Widow here, we found out that when you spend that 30 bucks to purchase that movie on Premiere Access, what you are doing is essentially telling the Disney Plus service that as long as you have a subscription, you get access to that movie. So I can watch Black Widow however many times I want, and I don't have to pay again because I've already paid. Whereas if it had been like a pay-per-view type of thing, and then this lawsuit came, that would be a different thing. But, you know, they they killed their home theater, their home video market uh, because of this, because everybody that did that took advantage of purchasing it for the premiere access on Disney Plus is going to be able to watch it whenever they want. Um, and it's, you know, that and just she and her agents did go to Disney before before going to court. 
they did go to Disney and say, hey, yeah, we have a chance to fix this. Obviously, we are in unique times. You know, there is precedent in the movie industry. Um, um, in December 2020, for instance, Wonder Woman 2, uh, Wonder Woman 84 uh, was put onto uh, HBO Max. And what Warner Brothers did is they went to Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot, who both had similar deals that Scarlett Johansson had with Black Widow and said that because of the pandemic, we can't honor this contract, but let's make it right by, you know, giving you some money, some other way everybody was happy scarlett johansson with her people approached disney to have a deal of this sort uh happen disney did not do anything um when it come to came to the black widow uh, marketing if you look at any of the videos that scarlett johansson recently did for the marketing look at her body language she's happy she's having fun she's chatting you know with not only the interviewer but the co-stars that she's doing uh the interview with not once did she mention that she was having these problems with disney she didn't look glum she didn't try to tank the movie you know, she did try her best to go out there and sell people on this movie, but Disney, by not wanting to talk to her, by also doing this premiere access thing, which I like, again, I bought it, so I'm glad I have this access, but it doesn't make sense because with a movie, a movie has to be marketed different than a TV show. Otherwise, it's not going to be special. It's going to be forgotten. And they're, they treated this like essentially a one episode TV show. And you know, they, they lost out on a lot of money like that. And basically, in my opinion, this is a case of Disney using the pandemic as an excuse to try to get the public to have negative feelings towards Scarlett Johansson so that they could, you know, somehow, you know, if, if it ever did go to trial, somehow have a bargaining chip or something like that. Now, let's be honest here. In the grand scheme of things, Six months from now, we're probably going to hear that her and her lawyers had some kind of settlement. There's going to be a settlement. I don't think this is going to go to trial. But in my opinion, it was important for her to step forward and do this because if Disney is do breaking their contract with a star of her caliber, they're certainly doing it with people that don't have the power Scarlett Johansson has. And if somebody in power does not step up and say, this is wrong, it needs to change, it's not going to change. And, you know, word coming out is that Kevin Feige, um, the, you know, the overlord of the Marvel Universe, um, he has essentially been upset at how things ha have happened. He encouraged uh, the Disney people to um, you know, speak with her people in order to work out something because again, something should have been worked out. Disney made the commitment to pay her in a certain way. And by, you know, putting it on um, the Disney plus, you know, they screwed that. And last but not least, I thought it was, I, I laughed, but I, I, it was one of those, the sad laughs because on the Roku last night, they had, an advertisement for the new Marvel movie that's coming out in September, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And very clearly on that advertising, it said only in theaters. So um, it, there's a lot more going on here. And basically Disney, in my opinion, um, with the statement that they came out knocking Scarlett Johansson, um, basically stating that it, it's a pandemic. Why is she doing this? And also telling the world her salary. 
that that you know saying that she got paid 20 million dollars essentially that that's not enough she wants more it's like disney has to honor their contract you know if you know this is look at look at how bad this country is in terms of you know regulating you know like monopolies disney is as close as we're going to get to an entertainment monopoly if we don't fight them on this you know what's going to stop them from doing worse Oh, and you know what? It didn't even take my own mind long to play my own devil's advocate on this because, I mean, we we know that the Reverend is not what you would call a fan of Disney. I, I've even said that I I have no problem using a friend's Disney Plus. I don't feel guilty about it because I don't want to give them money. Um, and that's, I know they still get credit for stuff that I watch, but at least I'm not paying them money. For some reason, that makes me feel better about it. Um, you know, we talked about that. I thought it was really stupid that they wouldn't have little, a dead child have the one thing they wanted, which was Spider-Man on their tombstone. So I, and, and then suing the school for, for playing whatever it was they played. But, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm no fan of Disney. So it didn't even take me long to be like, yeah, but I bet this is the only way, like, because they'll sue somebody else with a drop of a hat. You know what I mean? So in a way, it's almost very karmic. And now knowing what I know about, you know, Scarlet's people did try to go to Disney. And then, of course, like, oh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that she was the type of person to still promote the show. But it is refreshing to know that she still handled it with some grace and, you know, some professionalism, really, because that's your job. Yeah. It's like, you know, you can't have a little pout fest just because you didn't get your way with your boss at work. Like, I mean, just look for another job. If, 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 if it goes back to the other conversation, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, that does make a lot more sense. See, like I can have my mind changed. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> to have had and finished and flushed out this uh, conversation with you, but yeah, that makes more sense. And Disney, maybe they just deserve to be sued like karmic justice style. Just yeah, around a little with the lawyers. Yeah, especially since you know them being the company that helped spur the extension of copyrights in this country for as long as they have. I mean, long term, they did have done some damage to creativity, you know. And also, when it comes to lawyers that will sue at the drop of a hat for things like that, like um, you know, I get you know if you like if somebody took a story and like crossed the name of the author off and put their name on and tried to pass it off and make money off of that take that person to court i get it but you know when disney is like suing people for making a character that may share some characteristics with something but it's something being done original you know it's just like there's it's stifling creativity and i don't like that so yeah fuck yeah. disney Oh, well, and really, they could have done this better. And I think it was my my brother on in the Friends Talking Nerdy group that you guys, we all kind of went a little bit back and forth about, mm -hmm. you know, pay-per-view is not a new concept. You know, they could have done this like that. They could have done even kind of a mix of the two. Of, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. While it's out in theaters, you need to pay X number of dollars per time to watch it. But hey, if you paid for it even once during that time, once it's released, you have it. Like yeah. once it's done being in the theater run, like I'm just saying they could have been creative and like found other ways to deal with it too. Like not even just how and how they dealt with the actor, but in how they dealt with the content, you know, to kind of keep it that special. And because normally, you know, box office, a lot of those numbers come from repeat watching too. 
you know, I don't know if you notice, they don't scan you be like, is this your first time watching this film? Um, they usually just let you buy the ticket. And so it all goes towards it. So there's a few ways that it sounds like they fucked this one up and that they could have possibly maybe talked it out, done it better, especially like just straight refusing to talk to the actor about it seems really fucked in the head. Yeah, and then their statement after the fact, you know, I mean, we are talking about rich people. I mean, Scarlett Johansson has more money than she has any, any, than she will have time to spend it. But, you know, we can't have, we cannot support a corporation screwing anybody because, uh, you know, look at, look at Amazon, for instance, like uh, the, the, the at, if you remember a couple months back, they had uh, one of the Amazon warehouses in Alabama that was voting for union, uh, union ship that uh, the, the, the people that worked there ended up saying they didn't want the union, but in word coming out now is that the national labor relations board is finding that Amazon was guilty of a lot of interference in that like even putting in a ballot box in a place they were not supposed to to like monitor but you know anyway corporations kind of suck let's move on to a wonderful story a story that made me smile when i read it let's talk about dolly parton oh my gosh i love dolly parton uh i just know that she has given the rights to because she wrote i will always love you wasn't that the deal because that was something we even talked about on the battle of the states yes but you know the most memorable the most iconic version of it was whitney houston and she has in honor of whitney houston now the royalties to that song are going somewhere special now correct yeah it's it's not all of the royalties but she's taken some of it because she still gets a sizable amount of money from uh the whitney houston cover because the the money you make in music is more in the publishing side of things so the fact that you know whitney houston sang this popular cover she makes a lot of money but she took some of that and invested it in an african-american neighborhood in nashville and um you know she was on record as stating that because you know this was uh from whitney houston she felt it was important that she uh reinvest back into into the african-american community uh to do that and i thought that was wonderful news i think that's leading by example and you know in in uh, you know, it, it, she's the one person, like, if there is anybody in your life that is bad-mouthing a Southern person, you just say, Dolly Parton, now shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, yeah, Dolly Parton is a saint. She has an American treasure. Leave Dolly alone. Um, yeah. I, I Actually, I really love Dolly Parton. I've been to Dollywood, her little theme park. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really, it's cute. It's charming. It's worth checking out. It's hilarious. That's um, where I, uh, the professor the professor was born in that area. So she's been to Dollywood numerous times and even has a Dollywood shot glass. Nice. I, I may, who knows, because <laughs> I'm closer to this side of the country now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I may try to take a trip down there at some point. Because I do really want to explore like some of the stuff around here. Because you're so close, like New York to Boston to Salem. Um, but yeah, I remember I have fond memories of Dollywood. I went there on a band trip one year in high school and I just remember thinking it was funny. Like, I think I was taller than the tallest roller coaster there, but I, I I don't think that's actually true. That's being hyperbolic, but it was really funny because, you know, in high school in Texas and really all throughout middle school, high school, your big reward was to go to Six Flags over Texas. So there are like the full size uh, roller coasters, which is not what you will have at Dollywood, but you will have a fair amount of charm. 
and a really awesome montage of music the entire time. And you know why she did that? You know why she built Dollywood, right? No, I actually uh, do not. That is her hometown. And what how, the reason she built that, I guess, there, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think there was like a factory or something that was there that left and a lot of people were left unemployed. So she, cre- she created Dollywood, not as a temple to herself, but as a way to give people in her hometown work. Nice. So again, another great Dolly Parton story. It's like, you don't even have to be a fan of her music to just be a fan of her as a human being, because, you know, if, if more celebrities on either side of the fucking aisle did this instead of being assholes, you know, I, I think the world would be a better place, you know? Well, I mean, she kind of encompasses one of the mantras that I try to do in life. Like, Dolly isn't anti a lot of things. She's pro a lot of things. And see, there's an attitude difference there that I think is missing with a lot of people. Like, you know, I kind of, I rub elbows with a lot of activists, one might say. (laughs) And, um, you know, to me, there's a big difference in human uh, to be pro things and not anti things. Like to want to see demographics succeed and do well, but not necessarily take that to mean you must be against something else. Um, you know, you, you can be pro without being anti. I, I could have a totally own separate, you know, soapbox on that concept, but it's something I really love about her and I find endearing about her. And she's why, you know, I secretly wanted to be Dolly Parton in a weird way when I grew up, but you know, not, not Dolly Parton, like all of that, like, <laughs> but you know, she's, she's quite known for her breast disease. Let me say she's, she's got large breasts. Um, but anyway, so not necessarily that, just that she's a very good person. Um, I understand she comes from a humble, hard background, you know, she's great. Yes, definitely. So definitely. So, so just wanted to share that before we get to our final topic here, but someone's had a birthday a couple of days ago, MTV had its 40th birthday. And I think for our final topic here, we'll talk a little bit about MTV, a little bit about its, about, about its history, because we both come came at it from different eras. You know, mm-hmm. even, even me, there was an era before me that I didn't get to see on MTV. Um, but, you know, it will talk about the fact that it's, it's like people know of it now. But like, if you turn on the channel now, it's like the, the, a depository of reruns. You know? Right. Like even Beavis and Butthead, when they came back for their little nostalgia grab rendezvous, which I don't even, I think they actually did it right in a way because it was almost like they came back to make a point that MTV wasn't MTV anymore yeah. because that's what they did. Uh, Cause that was my time of MTV. Mine was the Beavis and Butthead times. And of course my mother couldn't stand that I watched it. So of course my father loved letting us watch it when we were at his house on the weekends, it was a whole thing. Um, so that was my experience. Uh, I watched it about every other weekend and it was a lot of music videos which uh i i loved it because sometimes you know they'd have the lyrics and it goes back to my hearing being shit and i would if if you were lucky when the cd came out the case had the lyrics in there for you but that was rarely the case so every now and then it's like hey you know i can lyrics and you know sometimes i could read their their lips and stuff with my hearing stuff and then uh beavis and butthead and they were always showing clips of music videos and even when they came back to make fun of the fact there's no music videos they like blatantly made fun of it in one of the you know reboot episodes because it was all just reality tv crap 
And yeah. they kind of were highlighting that it was all reality TV crap. And that's what I've, it's like, I get that <laughs> channels like that, they're, they're built for a specific market and I've aged out of that market a long time ago. So I'm not asking them to market it towards me, but it's like, I, I do, you know, wonder what they're marketing at these days, because it's like, you know, like in my era, they were marketing for like the 20 somethings, I think at the start of your era and the further the nineties went along, they, they started skewing a little bit younger, but like, like now I don't even know what they're apart from the reruns. And it's like the reruns don't have anything to do with TV. And that's another thing too. It's like, why don't, I I didn't have a problem when they had a show like MTV unplugged or like if um, like uh, with behind the music on VH1. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it may be a documentary, but it's about music. Like that's why I'm, I'm forgiving for like Pawn Stars on the history channel, because even on Pawn Stars, they'll have historical items and they talk about it. And it's, it's a way to kind of tie it in, but they don't even do that anymore. And that's, that's the kind of the sad part because at one time, MTV was the the trend setting place you went. I mean, MTV was responsible for making rustling popular, believe it or not. Before the first WrestleMania, there was the war to settle the score on MTV. And that was used to create WrestleMania. But, you know, they had like, you know, the MTV people had um, like Andy Warhol at a wrestling event and stuff and, stu- and fun, fun stuff. But I, I don't know, just... I even miss the videos, but I get why they don't necessarily play the videos all day now. But, you know, reading the article that I did read and question it made me ask, like, why couldn't they go back to videos? Because like cable today, the, the majority of people on cable are people my age, <laughs> you know, the, the original market. So why doesn't the MTV cable channel kind of pivot back to playing for the 40 somethings because it was great you know back in the day with mtv being able to sample all kinds of different music and if it became like a just a video jukebox again i think that would be so much better you know you could play that in a waiting room instead of you know whatever i don't know your thoughts well i mean i agree with you i think it could totally use a refresh one one way or the other it's like either go back to actually being mtv music television Or maybe consider rebranding, like, in general, so you're no longer music television. But it it just depends, because I don't know if they never play any music-related content. The article said the article said they play in a seven in a in a one week period, one hour and ten minutes worth of music. Okay, gotcha. So that that kind of clarifies. But so maybe most of your content could use to be at least music related. Because I mean, even you brought up the History Channel and the History Channel has some cool history stuff. And then you can also see, okay, well, Pawn Stars, but then they also have Ancient Aliens. Um, And then they also have a few other like reality type shows. And then it's like, there's also shows like on the Learning Channel that Natasha Leggero, her, my favorite, one of my favorite comedy albums ever is Coke Money by Natasha Leggero. And she makes fun of the fact of, I didn't know I was pregnant is on the learning channel. And I think like Toddlers and Tiaras was on there too, I think. Like a lot of reality TV is just seeping into networks in general because they're just trying to fill space with what works. So yeah. I think maybe MTV just made like that classic mistake of oh my god everybody's into reality tv and so they stuffed as much 
reality TV, like cheese into consumer goods to get as much of it into our culture as possible, because they thought that maybe that's what people would really, really want. And it turns out, I think people are kind of starting to get tired of reality TV. Um, And really they're getting most of it just by stalking people online these days. So maybe it's just not as fulfilling as it used to be. Yeah, I mean, reality, uh, the reason TV uh, networks do reality TV is that it's cheaper to do than, you know, doing like a, a fictional series, like a drama or a comedy or something like that. It costs far less. So, I, you know, financially, I get why they do that. But again, at least make a little effort to kind of tie it in. Now, granted, in, in my day on MTV, it did have uh, different shows where I, I don't mind different types of shows that may highlight different types of culture, like, you know, MTV Cribs or something like that. While that is not for me, you can certainly still tie that into a music experience. People have always loved like a lifestyle, the rich and famous type of show. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's no longer music. And um, yeah, to your point, it's, the the people that they're trying to get to that channel are on their mobile devices now, <laughs> you know? Yep. So the people that have cable, I'm part of the old folks group now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's, 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 it's having said that the article did mention too, it, that the fact that a lot of their core shows, like for instance, they had uh, the real world reunion where they took the cast of the very first rea- um, real world world show. And then essentially did a reunion show. But instead of putting that on MTV, it was only on Paramount plus they're bringing back MTV unplugged but it's only going to be on Paramount Plus. They're bringing mm. back behind the music, but it's only going to be on Paramount Plus. So it's like they still want to milk what the name MTV or VH1 means to people, but they don't want to let the original thing that birthed this thing live. If that makes sense, you know. Yeah, like they're kind of oddly holding the content hostage online and not like, why not at that point just go ahead and put it back in back in rotation with other programs that play? Because at least, again, you'd have more music-related content, which makes more sense. And if that's what people want to the tune that you're putting it on your mobile platform, why, why not? It goes back to the why not. Why not loop it in? Like, it also is just kind of interesting, right? It's like, oh, well, there's content on your website that never plays on your core platform your originating platform you're still running platform if you're putting money into it just pepper in some of the content people like and if you want to impress people of my advanced age apparently you (laughs) want to give them a a taste of what they could potentially buy i mean maybe you don't play the entire real world homecoming on mtv but play an episode or two and be like, if you like what you see and you want to see the rest, come on over to Paramount Plus or play the series on MTV, but be like, come on over to Paramount Plus for extra scenes, extra content. You get live shows, you can chat. There's a lot you can do to oh, integrate yeah. both the cable and and um, and and the streaming, streaming size of it. Now, will MTV ever go back to being what it was the day it first turned on 40 years ago? No, those days are past. You know, we have YouTube for a reason. It, that purpose is obsolete. However, with the branding of MTV music television, when people view that, you would think it would not be hard to have a music channel 
dedicated to music in some way, shape, or form. It could be as simply, what if they showed a movie, A Star is Born, the Lady Gaga version, that would still still be very much relevant, that would still be, you know, the, cutting edge because she's still very much a new performer, but it's still not just playing a music video. You know, there are things that they can do, I just wish they would do, and it's, it's you know, I don't know, it's like part of me is just like, I would want them to do something, but another part of me is like, Am I just on a nostalgia high for what MTV used to mean for me? <laughs> you know, is is my world really going to end if MTV shut off its lights and never never stayed on again? No, it's not. I mean, something else will come along that will be new and not obsolete. But you know, here here it is. MTV at forty, it's got growing pains. Who knows how long it will last? Will it make fifty? Will it make sixty? I think the name will. As far as the channel, who knows. Yeah, let's see if we make it to them being 50 and then we can see if we have any right to talk. It's like 40 years, you didn't even make it 10. Um, yeah, so we know what we're doing in 10 years from now. So. We're going to have a reunion show, even if this isn't going on anymore, just to talk about MTV. Yes, by that time, podcasts will be like like brainwaves that you shoot. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think that will wrap it up for us this week. Did you have anything else you wish to bring up to our audience no i think i'm i'm done talking i have to go try to figure out how to do the other things that i do when i'm not being the reverend so and i have some math homework to look forward to yay me i i believe if if all goes well um unless i pick a different career path a degree path this may be my very very last math class that's always an exciting place to be Yep, I think I'm just going to go eat uh, a bunch of leftover ice cream and try not to pout too much about my emotional support human not being home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go have a pout now. Yeah, at least you got beans, so there you go. I do have beans. She's she's happy to be here. She's actually just walking. She's like, what did you do with him? Because I think <laughs> she likes him more than me. I mean, to be fair, I dip her paws in, in ink and make her write notes to my stepdaughter. So, But we'll have pictures of that on the, the group. <laughs> Well, it's the, kind of the same way with Sherman now, because, um, uh, you know, I, I, with the attention I've been giving him lately with him being sick, like he will end up being on my lap more often than not. But he's still very much, you know, a, a mama's mama's boy. <laughs> uh, he knows who his mama is. So he, he brought. So yeah, cats are cats. So anyway. Indeed. But and, yes, it was fun. Until next week, everybody. Yes, pay attention on every Wednesday and Saturday in this podcast space. We will have something to entertain your ear holes. We bid you adieu. Adieu. Subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.